Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the Tennis Fanalist podcast coming at you on a Tuesday morning. I'm joined by Michael Gillett as always after a frustrating week in the tennis world. How are you feeling, Michael? Yeah, a little bit frustrated with the fact that we've now got to wait yet an extra week for for any more competitive tennis, but uh, overall I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, nonetheless, still a lot of stuff to be looking forward to as we move move closer towards the, the US Open, which is still looking positive. So let's get into the pod. To kick off the podcast, then we're going to look at some of the latest news that has come out in the tennis world. And as I hinted towards, it has been a little bit of a frustrating week after we've been gearing ourselves up to what we thought would be the return of the tour in, in sort of the first, um, the second week of August, I think. Um, and we heard the news that Washington, the 500 tournament in the US, had been cancelled along with the Chinese swing that was set to happen after the French Open. So that's uh, Chengdu, Beijing, Zhuhai and the Shanghai Masters, of course. Michael, what was your initial reaction to that news? Uh, yeah, really, really gutted, to be honest. I was looking forward to having some tennis to watch, uh, especially at the Washington Open. It's quite a good tournament. Kyrgios won it last year and it's sort of the main warm-up tournament for the US Open. Um, but, you know, it, I guess it does look like a sensible decision. Um, the tournament organiser at Washington, Mark Ellen, said that there's too many uh, unresolved risks with the safety and the, the the safety of the players and, and health and safety and everything is the number one priority. So it, it sounds like a sensible decision to be made. It's perhaps a bit of a blow for some players who were really looking forward to Washington. Oh, I'm sure all of the players were really looking forward to Washington that we're going to play because it would be the first tournament back. But um, in particular, players like Nick Kyrgios, Milos Rajnic, uh, Alexander Zverev, have done really well there in the past. So, um, yeah, it's it's a shame. But um, I suppose it was always something that was likely to happen. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, just sort of taking a step back, I think we've got to sort of caveat our own disappointment as fans with just, you know, that the health and safety has to be the priority. You know, it, it would it would take the excitement and the, and the gloss off of it straight away if in qualifying someone's having to pull out after testing positive or anything like that would just would just really ruin the whole event for everyone involved so um i think you just you just have to take that on the chin and um you know we we know that this is going to take time but um you know there, there was obviously going to be teething problems and and this is obviously one of them um one of one of the good better news to come out of this uh th- these cancellations there was a sort of cloud of worry o- over the US Open in 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 Flushing Meadows after Washington was cancelled and um, there has been other events cancelled uh, in America in, in the last few months. Um, obviously, that, that was a bit of a boost, Michael. Um, how do you feel about what the, what the US Open had to say on the matter? Yeah, so the US Open said that they're not going to be affected by the Washington Open cancellation. Um, but USTA, who is a US Tennis Association, that is... Um, They've said that they're confident they remain in line with the free guiding principles uh, and the principles that they're taking are uh, health and safety, interest of the sport and the financial viability of it. Um, And they're hoping to confirm within the next week 
um, that it will go ahead. It's still subject to final confirmation. Um, but yeah, there, there's a bit of uncertainty around the rules and regulations that countries have because obviously every nation has sort of different rules at the moment surrounding travel and all the players would have to travel to America, uh, compete there in two tournaments because you've got the Cincinnati Open uh, the week before, which is going to be played at the same venue as the US Open at Flushing Meadows. And um, then after that, all of the players are going to have to fly back into Europe. So um, there's a little bit of uncertainty around travel, quarantine rules. If one player gets it, does all of the players they've sort of been around then have to quarantine? So it's going to take a lot of planning and and sort of responsible decision-making. But yeah, I think overall, if the the US Open does go ahead, it could be be a positive thing. Yeah, and just picking up on the uh, Cincinnati Masters being played on Flushing Meadows sort of has... I get the feeling it will be like a dress rehearsal when you're watching it might might feel a little bit like that. But I suppose it is still sort of centre stage for a Masters, it's usually up in up in Canada, of course, I think. Um, what was, oh, oh, that's poor geography, that Cincinnati's in America. Cincinnati's in Florida, possibly. Not sure. Oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> it's only Rogers Cup in uh, Canada. All oh, right, sorry, that's my bad. But... Um, yeah, I think just having the having the US Open coming straight after and on on those famous courts does sort of throw the tournament into the, the limelight a little bit more, especially with it probably being one of the one of the first um larger main ATP tour events to come back. What sort of effects do you think do you think that'll have on it? Um yeah, I think it will take sort of the Masters into into the main spotlight. I think a lot of Tennis fans around the world maybe just watch the Grand Slams and they don't really get involved with the Masters as much. So, um, like you say, it, I think it could really put it on the centre stage and, and act as sort of a trial run for the US Open. I think the, the great thing about the Masters is because it's a smaller draw than the uh, US Open, quite often in a Grand Slam with 128 players, you can have fairly uncompetitive ties if you have um, sort of Novak Djokovic coming up against a player ranked outside the top 100. You know, is it exactly uh, box office stuff to go and watch? However, with the Masters, because they're much smaller draws, quite often sort of 28 players with um, the seeded players getting buys into the second round. But straight from the first day, you can have really competitive, exciting matches where... um, you know, you've got higher players coming up against players who are only ranked about 20 places below them and could knock them out really early. So I think in some respects that does make Masters sort of first rounds more exciting than the Grand Slam. So it could be really good that that gets sort of some centre stage spotlight. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. It's one of the tournaments you sort of cast your eye onto now since we've had uh, Washington obviously cancelled. Um, just moving on towards the US Open and there's um, amongst all the sort of uh, doubt and um, concern from, from a lot of players one that um, we've enjoyed watching over the years clearly seems very motivated and that's Andy Murray um, he's just been speaking publicly about how much um, preparation he's been doing and obviously has struggled physically in the last couple of years um, since since having that hip operation 
Um, any anything? Any thoughts on Andy Murray? Obviously, he's not not going to be playing singles in in the Battle of the Brits, the second Battle of the Brits tournament that that um, got underway yesterday. Um, just yeah, it seems lots of positive vibes coming out of the out of the Murray camp. Yeah, he's admitted that um, he he is apprehensive about it sort of going ahead, and he will accept if they do decide to cancel the US Open. But he's basically said that for him to be in the right place for the tournament, he has to be mentally prepared that it is going ahead. So at the moment, he's telling himself that it, it will be going ahead. And um, I think that's that's positive to see from Murray. He looked good at the the first battle of the Brits tournament, uh, lost in a very close semi-final to Dan Evans, who, as we all know, uh, is having the year of his career, which sounds a bit weird to say at the moment, but having you know some of the some of the best tournaments this year that he's ever had. Um, yeah, no, it could be um, be good for Andy Murray to see him at the US Open, and because of the uh, suspension that everyone's had, it might make it a bit more of a level playing field, and it might not. It might mean that the time that he has missed out of competitive tennis might not be so much of a hindrance to him because now everyone's missing competitive tennis. Yeah, it's definitely a place with happy memories for Murray, obviously winning his first ever Grand Slam at the the US Open and has had success at the the Cincinnati Masters before, which obviously happened happened um, just before that main event. Right, now to throw some attention back onto events in the UK and the second Battle of the Brits tournaments with a very different format um, has got underway yesterday. There's, it's, it's a team event this time. You've got the Union Jacks, um, the sort of post poster boys and girls of, of that team. You've got Dan Evans, Andy Murray, uh, Heather Watson, Katie Bolter, Jodie Burridge. And they're, um, they're going to be captained by Judy Murray and Greg, Greg Rosetsky. Uh, against them is the British Bulldogs. They're captained by Anki Athabong and Leon Smith. And the sort of poster boys and girls for that that team is Kyle Edmund, Cam Norrie. And then on the women's side, you've got Joe Conter and, and Harriet Dart. Um, so it's going to be a different format this time. With um, It's the first to 60 points. Um, the point system is going to sort of ramp up towards the end of the week, with may, may, making the matches mean a lot more and uh, have a lot more on the line. It's organised by Jamie Murray, again, who is going to be, going to be playing um, some doubles for the Union Jacks. Uh, just what are your initial thoughts on on this tournament, Michael? Yeah, it looks like it's it's a bit of fun. It's a format that we're not exactly used to with tennis, so I think you know that's always good because it's something just to try. And in, in these times that we're not having much competitive tennis, it's good just to mix things up and, and keep it interesting. Um, yeah, there's going to be sixty singles, doubles, and mixed doubles matches uh, taking place over seven days. Um, and as you say, the Sort of the worth of the matches is going to increase towards the end. Um, we saw the first day of it yesterday, and and currently, uh, Dan Evans and Andy Murray's team, uh, the Union Jacks, are losing nine four to the British Bulldogs. Um, and but the, I think the shock result of yesterday was that Dan Evans, uh, who's been on tremendous form, as I said uh, earlier on. Uh, he lost in three sets to Cameron Norrie, or what he lost in the super tiebreak uh, after drawing one set. Also, that's a really good win for Cam Norrie of the the British Bulldogs. Um, 
Britain's youngster, um, Anton Matusevic, did quite well against Carl Edmund, lost in straight sets, but both were, were competitive. And I think the big result, though, from yesterday's first day uh, was Jody Burridge uh, beating Joe Conter, uh, which obviously Joe Conter, I think she's 14th in the world, British number one. Uh, and Jodie Burridge is quite young. I think she's ranked outside the top 200. So, um, yeah, that was really big for them. Um, but, yeah, it looks like a bit of fun and, and could be quite enjoyable. Yeah, no, a great result to, to kick off the tournament for Jodie Burridge. She's 21 years old, beating the British number one, Conta. Um, yeah, just, just a, a feel-good tournament. Again, it's not going to be sort of massive prize money, ranking point style event. Um, but, yeah, no, it will be a bit of fun and I'm sure... It'll be good viewing. We're we're definitely going to tune in as as the week progresses. Um, it's very easy to watch, so uh, no excuses if you're missing the tennis. You can just you, know, you can find a stream on the on the BBC Sports site, um, and also they're covering it with all sort of text commentary, live blog stuff. So uh, it's easy to stay up up to date with that. And um, yeah, it's just just a a good way to get back into back into the tennis. The next segment of the pod is going to be a little trivia section just to uh, keep you entertained. Um, me and Michael have both written a few questions. We'll, uh, we'll go one by one. Michael, do you want to start? Yeah, um, I'll give you the, the first one. Um, casting your mind back to when the very unknown Marcus Willis uh, made the second round of Wimbledon and, and faced Roger Federer on centre court. Um, but my question to you, Marcus, is who did he beat in round one to face Roger Federer? Ricardas Barankis. Correct. Well done. He beat some good players in qualifying that year as well. I think he might have beaten Medvedev and someone like that. Who was he beat Medvedev in Really unknown. It was like before he was sort of top 100. I'm pretty sure he beat maybe Medvedev or Sferes, Alexander Sverev in qualifying. That is definitely something for him to say now. <laughs> right. Uh, my first question is going to have two parts. First one is how many Argentinian players are in the top 100? Okay, good question. So uh, you've got Guido Pella, uh, Londero, I can't remember what his first name is. Um, Juan Ignacio. That's it. Uh, they're definitely top 100. Um, there'll be a couple of others. I just, I'm trying to think. Delpo is. I'm Are you going to sure give me a number? They, say again? Are you going to give me a number? And how many? Just yeah. Gonna... I'm just trying to work it out. Um, I'll, I'll just. I'm going to guess three and just assume that I've missed one. Yeah, so it's four. I was just going to say name them. So you've said Pella and Londero. There's two. Okay, don't 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 stay then. I'm I'm going to name the other two. I feel like I'm missing quite an obvious one. Um, you definitely are. Am I? Oh, well, of course, Diego Schwartzman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's because he hasn't got a very Argentinian name. Um, the other yeah, one it's not very Argentinian at all is it well okay fine but Schwartzman um, is there like a 
an Argentinian player called like Catching or something, but isn't he? Yeah, uh, but he's he's a challenger. He's not in top one. Yeah, he's not one. Okay, I, I can't I'm think. looking for is a sort of gangly guy. Got quite an unorthodox serve. I think he's a left hand. I'm not potential. I'm just quite a while. Just tell me, Federico Del Bonis. Oh, of course, Del Bonis. Yeah, I mean he's he's always been around, doesn't he? <laughs> All right. What's your next one? Um. Okay. Who did Dominic Team beat in the Australian Open semi-final this year? This is really poor, but you got to forgive me. It was a long time ago. Well, I don't think it is that poor. Because, yeah, there's a couple that it could be. I've got two names in my head. I don't know which one to go with. Tell me who the names are. Federer and Bautista Rigu. Okay. Well, I can tell you that they're both wrong. So. Oh, right. Yeah, put me out of my misery then. So, okay, so I would have originally thought it was Nadal because uh, I remember uh, the team knocked Nadal out. But um, he actually knocked Nadal out in the quarterfinal and in the semi final, he faced Alexander Zverev and it was Zverev's first Grand Slam semi final. No, it wasn't. Got, yeah, he bit, got one of the French last year. Yeah, he did. You're, you're right, yeah. 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 But do you um, remember team dropping a set to Alex Bolt in the early rounds? Didn't he, he dropped two sets, didn't he? Maybe. I think Maybe. he went to five sets. Yeah, I think that was the second round or, or possibly first, yeah. Okay, um, my second question is a bit, of a bit of a tricky one as it's, the answer isn't who you'd expect it to be. Who is in second place in the next-gen rankings? So this is the under-21 year-to-date rankings. Going to be someone like Alex Demoneur? No, good guess. But it is Thiago Saboth-Wild. Okay, that's who I did as well. Um, I I think like a massive proportion of those points have come from winning that 250. Yeah. Yeah, so he's in second and Felix Australia team. Of course. You've got one more question, haven't you? Yeah, so mine's uh, just a multiple choice one. Put these players in ranking order. So it is Felix Auger-Aliassime, Stanislas Ravrinka and Dusan Lajevic. I'm going to go for the order you read them out. Okay, it's not, it's not the order I read them out. Um, below Lajevic, so Felix Lajevic, Favrenka. Uh, no, in fact, Ravrinka is the highest ranked out of them. We, I know, Ravrinka is 17th in the world at the moment. Was Felix, Felix like 18? Silly. Is Felix like 18 or 19? No, he's 20. Oh. Felix is 20 and uh, Dusan Lajevic is 23. So there's only three uh, places separating them all. So it's quite a hard one. All right, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> let's just get into the main event then towards the end of the podcast we've got guests the player coming up next I'm going to come at you first Michael um, so the first of the five clues for this player is oh you've just looked at the rankings this might be a bit iffy he's 24 oh, in the rankings gone down it. say again 24 in the rankings Christian Garin no be higher but yeah he's higher not here yeah. um, he's 22 years old. That's the second clue. Uh, 22 years old, so he's quite young. So you say 24th in the world. 
Correct. Do you think of players that have been playing in the next gen the last few years? Down the right line. Yeah. Um, is it, well, I know we've already done this as a guest player, so I'm sure it probably isn't, but I'll see if you're trying to double bluff me. Is it uh, Denis Shapovalov? No, good guess. He's a little bit higher in the rankings. Um, third clue, so you got 24 in the world, 22 years old, and he's won one career title. Um, no clue, though. Be... No, I don't think he's played next gen. Um... I've had a mind blank. Um... So, next gen, Sissipas, I'm pretty sure, won the first one. I'm trying to think who he beat in the final. No, Chung beat, Chung won the first one. Oh, did he? Okay, did Sissipas win it? He did. Yeah, yeah. but I think, I, I think that was the second one. Must have been going three years now then. I thought it yeah, was, I think yeah. you got Chung, Sissipas and... Sip- it was Sinner last year. Yeah, Sinner's younger and he isn't ranked 24th. Oh, I'm having a complete mind blank. Um... I don't think he's this young. Taylor Fritz. Yeah, correct. It is. Okay. That's I said before we recorded that uh, I guess the player was a lot younger than I actually remembered. I thought he was sort of... Yeah, we've forgotten he'd said that, actually. But, um, yeah, I, I would have felt like he's 23, 24. He seems to have been on the scene and ranked around there for yeah, a while. My last couple of clues were his best at a slam is third round and he's American. Yeah, I might have got it on the last one I wouldn't have got it on the Grand Slam one um, but I, I got it before so that's good okay for my one uh, fortunately last week's hasn't happened again and we haven't got the same player uh, so clue number one I'm 28 years old I'll let you do the 28 year old a couple of weeks ago as well uh, Jean Leonard Struff incorrect uh, question uh, clue two I have won three ATP Tour f- titles and two of them have come on clay. Okay. So a bit of an all-rounder. He's won a tournament on hard or grass as well as two on clay. And he's 28 years old. I mean, this could be some past it guy who's injured in like the 200s uh, but it's probably not Philip Kohlschreiber no he's older than that that's a bad guess yeah Philip Kohlschreiber I reckon is probably 33, 34 yeah uh, I would think maybe has more titles than three he's been around a long time I don't know um, clue number three is a couple of clues within this clue um, I'm 27th in the rankings but I have been as high as 16th, despite only ever making one fourth round at a slam. So quite a bit to take on board there. 27th in the world, career high of 16, and he's, but he's only ever made the fourth round of a slam once. Yeah. So it's a guy we know for his little uh, week-to-week ATP tour form rather than on the big stage. Must be a decent clay player to win two titles. 
just going to go for it because I know he... Actually, no, that's wrong. That's definitely wrong. Nicolas Basilashvili. Correct. Well done. Oh, yes. I was, like I was about to say... Um, it's good stab. Yeah, good. The uh, fourth Hamburg, clue... He won Hamburg twice, has he? No, only once, I think. And then a, No, only once. I can't remember what the other clay title was. Um, and then the other one was a hardcore title... Yeah, that, um, your Hamburg is the hardcore one. Say again? Oh, is it? Hard, yeah. No, yeah, I was going to say Sam Cray, but then I remembered that he got someone winning semi. Isn't Hamburg on clay? No, it's hard. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, the other two clues were going to be um, I'm the top-ranked player of my European country, so that might have given it away because um, you would have been thinking of more obscure countries and, and he's from Georgia and that was going to be the fifth clue I'm from Georgia which I would much hope uh, it had given it away because I don't think I can name any other tennis players from Georgia yeah no I would have been really really struggling I would have been kicked off the pod if I had got it off that fifth clue I think <laughs> would have been a Michael monologue from now on let's just have a quick look at who is Georgia's second ranked player I bet it's someone that We've just forgotten. No, no. <laughs> the second ranked player is ranked 572nd in the world and is called Alexandre Metrovilli. Oh, Metrovilli. Alexandre Metrovilli. He's like top 10 like, a couple of years ago. No, he hasn't. He's 26 years old. <laughs> he was he, his career high is 264th though, which was in 2016. So he has made an okay level, and in total, Georgia only have five ATP ranked players. So yeah, Basil yeah, really is a tiny country in the front there. Yeah, it is a tiny country. So uh, yeah, fair play for Nikolos for uh, performing better than everyone else. So that concludes this week's podcast. Thanks for listening and uh, we'll be back next week.